Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 95 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. You can reach me at the real 27 guy on Instagram. I always appreciate those of you who do reach out to me there. Um, and for those of you who don't follow, please do. I'm getting close to a big marker. <laughs> I hate it when people say that, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> but it's true. I'm getting too close to a big marker, and it would be great to get a few more followers. Uh, welcome to the podcast today. It's brought to you by PWCC. PWCC has a ton of huge items ending this Sunday at their weekly auction. Just a few of my favorites. The Penny Hardaway Grand Finale from 9798 SPX. Believe it or not, it's only the second Grand Finale of the whole set that has sold at PWCC this year. Just the second card from the set. Um, after Buyer's Premium, it's already at close to 10 grand. It's a huge card. Uh, the KG Molten Metal Fusion, numbered out of 40. I have the Jordan from that set. It is my favorite Jordan. It is one of my biggest cards, and I love that set. And then um, a card that will suffer a lot less, but I just I love. It's a, a Noir Autograph Patch of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think it was a 2014 as well, which would make it the first year of autograph patches. It might have been 2015, but either way, you guys know I love Noir. I think it's such an underrated product. So great cards all available ending this Sunday at PWCC. Guys, we're closing in on episode number 100 here. Um, I wanted to get this one out. I hope it's a good one. Today is called The Case for Autographed Vintage. Uh, Autograph Vintage has been on a roll. Uh, Spoiler alert for those of you who subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic, January's issue will have um, an article all about autograph vintage. So I've been thinking about this a lot, but wanted to do a short episode here to talk about some of the things that I've been seeing that I think are interesting. And um, I want to make a case for it. I also want to talk about what makes me nervous. So we'll do that here over the next 10 or 15 minutes or so. So what we've been seeing is really over the course of the last decade, an increase in prevalence on autograph vintage cards. And I think it makes a lot of sense. First off, let me just say, we've seen over the course of the last six months, a few really important sells. Um, the Jackie Robinson 1948 Leaf in an authentic holder sold for almost 600 grand. And then a few weeks ago, or maybe about a month ago now, the Wilt 1961, it was in a PSA 4 holder, I believe, with a 9 autograph. It might have been a 3. I think it was a 4 holder um, sold for uh, close to $300,000. Two huge sales. Two cards that sold for, I mean, what, what ultra-high-end non-autograph copies would sell for. And so what we've seen over the course of the last 10 years is a lessening of the gap between ultra high-end vintage and autograph vintage. And it's really interesting. I've thought a lot about this. I've thought a lot about which I prefer. And I've heard people on both sides take really passionate, strong stands. Um, the case for the autographs is pretty simple. It's that they're so much rarer. They've been in the presence of the athlete that is depicted on the card. And unlike, you know, high condition vintage, there's not as much of a chance for things like alteration being the reason why the card is worth as much as it is. I, um, I get that. That case speaks to me. Um, on the other side of things, 
it's a relatively new part of our hobby in terms of ultra high end. And although maybe the, the same alteration point isn't as strong, um, where you know you can have a PSA 9 or a PSA 10 in the world of vintage that sells for several multiples, tens of multiples, more than a 7 or an 8, and that bump could possibly be caused by alteration. It's not. It's not seen the same way in in you know, autograph vintage, right? It's the autograph and the rarity of the autograph in general that drives those massive prices. Um, but that notwithstanding, there are some things that make me nervous about it. I'll get to that here in a second. I wanted to mention one more sale that I think was really interesting, and that was the for you basketball fans out there, the Nat Sweetwater Clifton that sold at Leland's uh, earlier this month. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that card sold for almost $20,000. And I think it shocked a lot of people, but it was a pop one on the pop report. It was the first overall tops card. Nat Clifton, for those of you who don't know, played an important part in um, African Americans uh, playing in the NBA. He was one of the very first African Americans to play in the NBA. And so a signed card for his you know, 1957 tops card is just huge. So we've seen all of these huge prices. I've described a little bit about why I think we're seeing it. Let's go to a break and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about why we're seeing this uptick. You've probably heard about Alt, but have you registered for their auction yet? Twice a month, Alt features its liquid auctions event, which caters to collectors of all kinds. The platform is super easy to use, connects to your bank in minutes, and provides a super fun bidding experience. What are you waiting for? Register on Alt XYZ today. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit more about why these things have have become more important to our modern hobby. It used to be where there was really not a lot of confidence in autographed cards that were signed in person or without really clear evidence. And I think there's a good reason for that. Yeah, this is one of the, the highest areas of fraud in our hobby. It's basically a tale as, as old as time that you have people forging autographs and pretending that they're real when they're not. And so for the longest time, it was like, oh, congratulations, you've got this autograph card of this guy. Like, that's great, but you've ruined the card. Some people didn't feel like necessarily the card was ruined, but they thought more so like it was a different type of it was a different type of thing. Like, okay, you've got an autograph, but it doesn't have the same, you know, stock-like principles as, as a normal card does. Well, by PSA and BGS um, basically beginning to slab autographs, uh, that has changed, I think, how the industry and how collectors have, have thought about it. Plenty of collectors that historically believed that autograph, getting a card signed was sort of a bad thing now look at it and say, huh, these are low population. These have been, again, held by the, the player. And it's, it's something that's closer to the player than it was before. And because there's a population report, it gives us something to sort of compare, compare to, right? So you look at like the, the Wilt Chamberlain card that, that I went after hard um, you know, earlier this month or late last month. And the story on that card is really easy to tell. The Wilt Chamberlain rookie 
is one of the most iconic basketball cards in existence. I have it right around number five. The fifth, like four, fourth or fifth most iconic basketball card ever made. Um, maybe, maybe even three. You could argue as high as two, I think. Um, it's from the set, and it's the best card from the set. The vintage set. So, Wilt Chamberlain's one of the most collected players. The card is one of the most collected cards. It's the most collected card from the set. And then this card was in the presence of Wilt Chamberlain. He took it into his hand. He signed it. And he signed it in a place that, although not perfect, because it slightly goes over his face, the, pen, the, the signature is really strong. Um, I previously owned one of these cards, and it was not, mine was not as well penned as this one was, but mine was in ballpoint pen, which in general I would like over something that's more like a marker. This one, I don't know if you'd call it a marker or a pen, something sort of between the two. I should probably know the word for this, but I am not as smart as many of you, and so I do not know what it's called. Um, but the, the piece that I'm reminded of in um, Basketball Card Fanatic is an early piece that... Um, my friend Black Griffin Cards did where he talked about um, how autographs are really an, an interest, like pack inserted autographs are, are a piece of art because it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting how two artists have to come together to create something that's really, that, that should be really nice. And sometimes it's not done. And most of the time it's not done very well. In fact, I think Black Griffin Cards in general doesn't like autographed cards. Um, because very many of them don't end up really working, right? You need, you need the card to be right. You need a great spot for the autograph. You need the, the, the athlete to sign in the right place and in the right way with the right pen. And so a lot of things have to come together to give you like the right end result. And then in the case of Wilt, right, what really makes it interesting is Wilt passed away 24 years ago. Um, I think it was 1999. I think it's almost exactly 24 years ago. Um, so he's been gone a long time. He has very few pack inserted autographs and he has one clear cut, most iconic card. So he has very few of these cards in existence. In fact, we're talking about like just a few in the entire population report. And when you, when you think about all of those things together, combined with the fact that it again was in his presence and it is the card that it is, it just is so incredibly appealing. Same story for the um, the Jackie Robinson. Same story, um, frankly, for the Nat Clifton and for any of these other ones where the, the, the guy has been gone for a long time. But even where the guy hasn't been gone for the long time, there's still tremendous appeal. The most famous autographed mo uh, basketball card that's done in person is obviously the 1980 Tops, uh, the Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Julius Irving on it because it's it's like a significant project where people have to acquire the card and then they have to figure out how to get each of the three autographs and there's like a, a whole host of things that can go wrong wrong in the process larry bird's known for going off of the card right and um, sometimes they'll be done in different colors sometimes they'll be done in different directions sometimes magic johnson for whatever ends up with a blue marker that's just not as thin as the other ones there's all of these different reasons why the autographs don't turn out as well as they do. And so when something does turn out really well and it has a low population and it has this significance, and again, you compare that to the card without the autographs, you see the lower population, you realize that it's been in their presence. There's all of these reasons why you could look at the autograph card and say, man, I really see the appeal 
of this card. And again, I think those are the reasons why myself and other people have like have taken a, a, a stronger view on these cards over the course of the last decade. Um, let's go to a break and for the last part of the segment, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna talk to you guys about what makes me nervous and I think it'll probably surprise you. Do you grade your cards? Grading can preserve, protect, and beautify your cards. Well, maybe not all grading companies beautify the cards they grade, but CGC sure does. CGC slabs are so much nicer than the other big three that I send all of my PC cards to them for slabbing. Not only do they make the cards look amazing, but they are ultra durable. I used to think that a slab could only be super clear or super strong, but then CGC showed up. Check them out at cgccards.com today. So what makes me nervous isn't, a lot of people are nervous about like a high number of autographs of like the more popular cards. You know, you take a card like the 1989 Griffey Rookies and say, oh, what if he signs a million of these? And my answer is like, so what if he does? Like people who are buying obviously ought to consider that those athletes who are still alive and in relatively good health and are still signing, those populations could increase dramatically at any time, right? The thing that everybody's been talking about recently is how few autographs John Stockton had signed on his rookie card and now he's gonna be doing a public signing. People are anticipating that that number is gonna go through the roof. And so people are doing this sort of supply and demand calculation before these things happen. Well, clearly, right? That that just is what it is. This doesn't make me super nervous just because like those cards are clearly um, susceptible to having tremendous swings. And I think anybody who's collecting these things ought to know that. So there's your disclaimer. You ought to know that. The thing that makes me nervous is that there was this long period of time where there wasn't really confidence in the market to be able to determine whether an autograph was real. This is why pack pulled autographs are so interesting, right? Because like that Wilt Chamberlain that's done in Legends and Retro, those are the only two that he ever signed, right? There's two variations of each, so four total Wilt Chamberlain autographs. I think there's 475 total between all four cards or all two cards, however you look at it. Those have tremendous interest because they came out of the pack. They're both an insert and backed by the Upper Deck Company, and everything about them tells us that those are real, legit autographs. That's so different than a card that is signed third person and then, you know, authenticated. So what makes me nervous is that we're going to have moments where people realize that fake autographs have ended up in PSA holders. Because although we have tremendous confidence in PSA, I don't think anybody who really knows what they're doing is going to say, oh yeah, PSA gets it right 100% of the time. I don't think that. I think there's ways that maybe some things can be aged. There's all sorts of science that goes into it. I think ballpoint pen autographs that sort of indent the card more than like than like a, a marker, which can just sort of like, you can imagine if somebody gets the marker autograph wrong, they can wipe it off. Or cards that are not, worth a lot in the first place being signed like those those things are those things are risks let me i went a little bit quick there let me let me like back up a little bit a ballpoint pen signing a card i would guess to the bad fraudulent guys out there that want to try to fake autographs and pass them off i think a ballpoint pen's tougher than a mark because i can imagine Again, I don't know these things, but I can imagine that if there was a marker that you could get that like 
could wipe off of like a glossy surface if you know if it was sort of like wiped off immediately after it was signed that would give the forger a chance to really like try it till they got it exactly right and especially on a really expensive card to me that makes me somewhat nervous maybe i shouldn't be like i i don't really know these things right like i'm not somebody who has any idea or any background in like how you would go about doing these sort of nefarious things that clearly other people have done before but this is why i like the ballpoint pen because clearly if a ballpoint pen is being used it's leaving an indentation on the card um so that's one thing that that i think about um i i think that I'm getting a little lost in the weeds here. Let me make my, my main point, which is I am somewhat nervous that we will have moments in the future where people will say, I submitted this card to PSA. I faked the autograph and PSA authenticated it. Therefore, you can no longer trust your autographs on your $100,000, $200,000 cards. And I can see the market getting nervous about that. I can that nervousness um, and, and, and that sort of like, oh, we need to now dump everything that we have, that's something that we've seen over and over again in our hobby around different types of assets. We are a fickle bunch who pretend in many cases that we're collectors, but really we're hoping that our assets just increase in value. And when I say our, I mean like we as a body. And you, I've seen it so many times. Right, so many times where people are like, this is something that will never decrease in value. Whenever I hear somebody say that, I just sort of roll my eyes and know that they don't know. No one knows, right? I've heard that about basically every asset class at this point. No one really knows what's going to increase and decrease. But what we do know is that we have a tendency when we find out that something may not be what we originally thought it was or that the collector base around us isn't what we thought it was. We have a tendency to jump ship. And when a lot of people jump ship at the same time, Bad things happen, man. Bad, bad things. So, will that ever happen with this with this sort of world? I have no idea. I do not know. But I but I get nervous that it could. I was still willing to bid, bid more than almost any other card I've ever won at auction for that Wilt Chamberlain. So that tells you that I also still have some level of real confidence in the long term outlook, and that is mainly driven by this by this fact. If you've made it to Minute, almost minute 19 in the podcast or minute 20 in the podcast. Hopefully this is worth something. Every single type of card that we have has risk associated with its legitimacy. So like every single one. Vintage cards can be trimmed. Modern cards can be trimmed. Um, items can be uh, given basically in deliberately false sales histories. Um, whole asset classes can be changed, our, our, our perception can be changed on them because of how nefarious people want you to think about cards. Um, modern cards, autographs can be um, altered. Patches can be altered. I was looking for the word touched up on the autographs. We've seen it before where somebody takes an autograph that goes off card and they wipe a little bit of it or something smudged and they go in. And um, Again, I can't imagine how this is done, but with little teeny tiny instruments are able to figure out how to get the autograph to look better. Patches have been switched. As you guys know, that's been in the news forever now. Everything is susceptible to being adjusted or altered in some way. Even like a prism card 
can be adjusted by like wax and, and other things. And since everything that we have in our entire market is susceptible to being changed, altered, faked, you know, all of these things, nothing is totally safe. But here's the great thing, guys. That's not just cards. That's every financial, that's every financial market in the world. All of them can be altered. All of them can experience fraud. And so I think some people head for the hills because they're like, ah, cards are cards all have this bad have all this bad stuff happening. It's everywhere, man. There are bad actors all over the place. And so for me, it's funny because I've had people say over the years, like, Adam, why don't you sell a bunch of your collection and you know, imagine what you could do with it. Well, number one, I love my collection. But number two, like, where would I go? What would I do? What would I do with the money that I would get from it? Like, people think, well, you could do this, you could do that. Okay, I could do any number of things. I could go, I don't know, I could go buy something. I don't know, I could go get stocks. I don't have any more confidence in any of those things, including cash, than I do cards. I don't. And since I don't have that confidence, um, and because I love my cards, I have elected to, you know, continue to hold them as long as they've, you know, I've just continued to hold them. And even though, like, it's sort of like life-changing money, it's just still... It doesn't, I, again, I don't know what I would do with it. So with all that said, whether it's vintage autographs or modern or whatever, we need to be aware of the bad things that can happen. But at the same time, just because bad things can happen doesn't mean that jumping ship makes any sense. In fact, when everyone is jumping ship, that's typically the very best time that you can be buying or you can be holding. That is my experience. That's what I've lived over and over. With all that said, I think the vintage, uh, the vintage market is super interesting place right now, vintage autograph market, because it's still relatively in its infancy. The important key assets from that era are known, they are rare, they are exceptionally hard to find, and their prices are not knowable. And if, and this is my real like last sort of like, this part that I was gonna get to earlier and then I got sidetracked. If I look at the, the, the market, and I say to myself, what would I rather have? One of the three Wilt Chamberlain PSA 10 1961 Flare cards, which if you've been a collector for a long time, you immediately hear that and you go, oh, those are like million dollar cards. We haven't seen one at auction forever. This is just something that's sort of known. I'm putting air quotes up that you can't see because you're only on audio. Um, it's just sort of known that like this is like this ultra, one of the best cards in, in, in the world, multi-million dollar card, right? I get that people feel that way. And it probably is. But do I personally view that as significantly cooler than an autographed copy of Wilt Chamberlain's rookie card? People are going to think I'm insane for saying this. I don't. I don't. That's why I went and bid so much money on an autographed Wilt Chamberlain rookie. There's a few more autographed Wilt Chamberlain rookies than there are PSA 10s. By a few. But like, why would I say I want this one that's in such perfect, perfect condition more than one that has been in his presence along with just a very few others? The, the total populations are pretty comparable. I think there's six or seven autographed rookies in the population at this point, and there are three PSA 10s. So we're not talking night and day. They're pretty close. Um, I know the difference between three and six and seven is actually pretty pretty huge in this in like in the world of cards, but like it's not like we're talking about one and twenty, right? 
You've got to figure out what you like. And you've got to ask yourself, you've got to be bold enough to say, I know what people have thought historically. What do I think now and how is that different than what the market thinks? And then when you think that thing and you really feel strongly about it and you've got strong convictions, you've got to follow that. That's scary, right? But I'm going to tell you over and over again for me, it's worked. Because in the end, people come around to um, their own thinking rather than just what's been thought before. And it's the people who are willing to sort of like be brave about that and try to challenge the status quo that end up usually being rewarded by it. So with all that said, I went longer than I thought I would today. You guys, I hope you enjoyed this year of the Basketball Card Podcast. Um, it has been great recording every week. I know I skipped a little while in there, but had a pretty good year this year. I plan on doing it every week going into 2024. I hope you all have a very happy New Year's. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following on Instagram. Thank you for subscribing to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine. You're all great. Um, if you have any feedback, DM me at the Real 27 guy on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. And until then, until next time, happy collecting. Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.